0: this time of preaching to you and god we pray that you will speak mightily sovereign god that your world will go forth with power and conviction in jesus precious name amen once again i invite you to turn with me to our text first kings chapter 19 beginning with verse 14 and he said i have been very zealous for the lord god of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimsheh, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahalah, You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu, will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah, will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want to preach today from the subject Thanksgiving Lessons from Elijah. Thanksgiving lessons from Elijah. The story of Elijah in today's scripture reading is a story about doing life and doing ministry in the real world. It's not about life in some fairy tale land where people tiptoe through the tulips, eat gingerbread and ice cream sundaes, kick back, relax, bask in the proverbial sunshine, and enjoy life going their way at every turn the story of Elijah's life and ministry pulls back the covers and allows those who are bold enough to do so see some stark realities of life for those who seek to follow God let's take a look at the writer of first king as the writer of first king gives us a front row seat to the unfolding drama in chapter 18 Elijah kills 450 prophets of Baal but in chapter 19 where King Ahab report when King Ahab reports to his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done Jezebel sent a message to Elijah The message said so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow At this point Jezebel the wife of King Ahab officially places a bounty on the head of the man of God, Elijah. She puts a hit out on him. Now, in order to understand the dynamic of what's happening, it's helpful to know that Jezebel was the epitome of wickedness. Jezebel was wickedness on steroids. She was evil personified. She was hateful. She was vengeful. She was vile. She was vindictive. And knowing Jezebel's nature and knowing she intended to have him kill, Elijah ran for his life. He travels a day's journey out into the Judean wilderness where he sat down under a broom tree, a shaded place, and prayed that he might die. He said to God, it's enough. Now, Lord, just take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, while sleeping under the broom tree, the Lord sent an angel to Elijah to get up, who said to him, get up. After which he traveled to a place called Horeb, also known as the Mountain of God. There he goes into a cave. Mind you, he's still running and running for his life. He's still hiding from the threat of Jezebel's assassination. He goes into a cave. He falls to sleep. Uh, for the night but he's awakened by a voice saying to him what are you doing here? Elijah explains that he had been very zealous for God and that the children of Israel had forsaken God's commandments they had forsaken God's agreements with them they had torn down God's altars they had killed the prophets by the sword and then Elijah said I am the only one left And they're trying to kill me. God, they're trying to take my life. Y'all, this is real world right here. This ain't no name it and claim it. This ain't no jump up and grab your blessings from the atmosphere. This ain't no send me a love offering to go towards the purchase of my new jet. No, this is real world, real life, real time, real heart, core ministry on the front lines of battling evil. Question, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you were doing your best to pray, read your Bible, go to church, go to worship, attend prayer meeting, Bible study, pay your tithes, give your offering, trying to do the right thing at home, at church, at work, at school, in the community, only to find a bombshell dropped on you, only to find yourself facing headache and heartache, only to be ridiculed, falsely accused, misunderstood, taken advantage of, and even having your life threatened? If so, take heart. Be encouraged because you're in good company. Elijah found himself in this very same place. He was confused, he was hurting, and he was at the point of giving up, throwing in the towel, calling it quits. But notice what happens in verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. This is the voice that he heard. Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, or as some translations say, a gentle whisper. That's where God was. So what's the point? The point was Elijah had grown accustomed to the workings of God being done in spectacular fashion. In chapter 1, First In chapter 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, look at the spectacular fashion in, in which God worked. God caused a three-year drought. Elijah prayed, and there was a three-year drought. But then he gave Elijah water from the brook Cherith and commanded a raven to feed him. How dramatic is that? And then in verses 8 through 16, Elijah called on God on behalf of a hungry and hopeless widow. To which God answered by giving her a bin of flour and a jar of oil that just would not run out. In verses 17 through 24, the widow's son died. Elijah prayed over him and God restored him to life. Then in chapter 18, verses 20 through 40, while in a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the Lord caused a fire to fall. From heaven, it fell and consumed the burnt offering of bull pieces, wood, stick, stone, and dust that had been drenched three times with four water pots full of water. How spectacular is that? People believed, and then not only that, Elijah then slew 450 false prophets of Baal. Elijah had grown accustomed to God working in stunning, in extravagant, in spectacular ways. But now God flips the script and speaks to Elijah in a still, small voice, in a gentle whisper. Footnote, God taught Elijah a very valuable lesson. The lesson for Elijah is the same as for us, that sometimes God does his work quietly without fanfare without trumpet blasts. And we do well to learn this lesson. We do well not to presume, not to become discouraged, not to be withdrawn go to lonely and isolated places when it seems as though God is not working. For the truth of the matter, as Henry Blackaby put it, God is always at work around us. He may not be making noise, but he's working. You may not see the fire and the smoke, but he's working. People may not be raising the roof and shouting all over the place, but God is working. Sometimes God does not speak through thunderous expression, sometimes he speaks through that which is gentle, mild, calm, tender, and even easy going I've been preaching for a long time and in my earlier days of preaching I would go home feeling bad if we didn't have a hallelujah shouting good time up in church but as God matured me and as I grew in the faith I came to understand that sometimes God was doing his best work when people sat there quietly absorbing and taking in the word so don't miss God's message don't miss God's movement. Don't miss God's ministry because the presentation is not loud. Because it's not flamboyant. Because it's not, because it's not all glitz and glamour. And so it was, Elijah heard the still small voice of God. Verses 13 and 14 says, He wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, God, I have been very zealous for you because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have turned down your, torn down your altars, and they have killed your prophets with the sword. And God, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to take my life. At, the, at this juncture, Elijah is standing tall on his soapbox. He has God's ear. He has God's undivided of tension, and he's giving God an earful of his woe, his complaints, his feeling. Here's a 21st century rendition of Elijah's explanation to God: God, I've been enthusiastic, I've been passionate, I've been fervent, I've been focused, and I've been faithfully following you. All the others who call themselves your people have turned away from you. They've turned away from your word. They don't pray anymore, and they don't worship you as they should. They have killed all the preachers that sought to tell the truth. All the preachers that you've called and anointed to preach your word, they've done away with. And then he goes on to say in modern-day vernacular, I'm the only one you have left. The only one you can count on. The only one that's getting the job done the only one that's doing it right and now they're trying to kill me they're trying to get rid of me I'm barely hanging on by a thread have you ever been there a day of days when you felt isolated you felt alone you felt down you felt dismal you were even depressed Days when the devil tries to oppress you and make you feel like there's no use in trying anymore. Well, that's life, y'all, in the real world. That's where Elijah found himself in the text. But here's the good news. Here's where you shout hallelujah. Here is where if you have any praise in you, it ought to come out. Here it is, because the good news is that God totally understood all Elijah was going through. God was not aloof, but he was close. God was not distant, but he was near. God was not detached, but God was very well connected to Elijah. God was not remote, but on the scene with complete understanding of all that Elijah was going through. God was right there. So here's the first Thanksgiving lesson from Elijah in this text. We can be thankful that God understands all that we go through. No matter what it is, no matter what you face, God understands. Hebrews 4.15 states the matter in this fashion. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, God understands. In a 1941 hymn titled, He Knows Just How Much We Can Bear, written by Phyllis Hall, the hymn highlights the confident reality of God's understanding as we go through various trials of life. She wrote, think of the times you've asked a question, down in your heart, now just what shall I do? Then you can find in your friends and your loved ones, but they have troubles too. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God who rules earth and heaven. In him there's relief from every pain and care. For he knows, yes he knows, just how much we can bear. Though so the load gets heavy, you're never left alone to bear it all. Just ask for strength and keep on toiling, though the teardrop fall. You have the joy of this assurance. The Heavenly Father will always answer prayer, and He knows. Yes, He knows just how much you can bear. Now, you may be thinking, that's great. I'm thankful. That God understands what I'm going through. I I get that. I'm very thankful. But how does God's understanding of what I'm going through translate into any kind of help or relief for me? Because you see, I need some help. I need some relief. I need a breakthrough. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. What the text text reveals next in verses 15 and 16 is your designated answer. Then the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, in your place. Do you see your answer? Not yet? Well, your answer is revealed in the second lesson. Here it is, y'all. Get this. The second Thanksgiving lesson from Elijah is we can be thankful that God gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. He understands where we are, but he goes further than understanding in that he gives us what we need. Here's the reality. On the heels of God's understanding of where we are comes his ability to give us what we need. Unlike people who may understand to a degree what we are facing, who may understand to a degree what we're going through or what we have to deal with, but have no power, no provision, or no plan to help us. Unlike people, God understands and has the ability to give us all we need to get us through what we're going through. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 4, 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We can be thankful that God supplies all of our needs. Thomas Chisholm wrote a hymn based upon Lamentations 3:22 through 24. Near the end of his life, Chisholm explained, my income has not been large. At any time, due to impaired health in earlier years, which has followed me until now, although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing greatness. And then the refrain of Mr. Chisholm's hymn goes like this, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. Watch this. All I have needed. He goes beyond our understanding and gives us what we need. All I have needed thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord unto me. God goes beyond understanding our condition and gives us what we need to make it through our condition. In the text, what Elijah needed, this is beautiful, y'all. This is exciting. In the text, what Elijah needed was a new assignment. That's why God told him to go. What he needed was a new assignment. For it would be in Elijah's new assignment that Elijah received fresh hope. It would be in the new assignment. That Elijah would gain renewed vigor. It would be in the new assignment that would bless his sandals off because his usefulness to God was reaffirmed. Yeah. Yeah. He could see. He could see that he was not a washed-up has been. It is, it is, it comes into clear focus that he was not a failure and that God had not rejected him. And that God was not done with him. In other words, when God told Elijah to go, Elijah had to get excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- because he felt like he had failed hiding in a cave. But now God tells him to go. He had to have been excited. It is clear focus that he was not a had God had not rejected him but not only that the new assignment when God told him to go bore witness to the fact that no matter how hateful and hideous and bold and belligerent and wicked and worrisome as Jezebel was and no matter how much she wanted him dead it wasn't going to happen because God gave him another assignment God sent him on another mission God still had work for him to do. And so it is with us when God has you and me and every born-again believer in Jesus Christ on divine assignment, the devil and all the host of hell cannot hinder, hamper, or halt the work. God has begun in you and has begun in me. So stop worrying about Washington politics. Stop worrying about the state of the world and economy. What God has started in you, God will complete. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So go on and shout and tell the Lord thank you. Thank you for my assignment. Thank you for my mission. Thank you for my mandate. Thank you for my ministry. Thank you for encouraging me to go and do all that you tell me to do. So now as Elijah prepares to leave the mountain, there's one more matter of business God addresses with him. And God says in verse 18, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. In verse 18, God assures Elijah, Elijah that he is not the only committed prophet in the land. In other words, God says, Elijah, get that notion out of your mind. You're not the only one. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded as, Church families, that that we aren't the only ones. We got a good thing going, but we aren't the only ones. We're doing a lot of work, but there are other people that God has. Other great churches. Imagine how he feels going on his way. He now knows for sure that there are some others, like-minded prophets who he can associate with. There are other like-minded comrades with whom he can fellowship. There are other like-minded believers in God with whom he can confide in when he's down, when he's troubled, when he's going through. Here's the third Thanksgiving lesson from Elijah. We can be thankful for the fellowship of other believers. For some reason, Elijah allowed himself to begin operating in a vacuum. For somehow or another, somehow he got isolated. We, we don't know how it happened. We don't The text doesn't uh, reveal, but somehow or another, he got isolated. Somehow or another, he was working in a vacuum. He got isolated from other, pro, other prophets. and as a result, he grew anxious and depressed. That's because God never intended for us to do life and ministry alone. In fact, Mark 6, 7 tells us Jesus called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. Solomon, the wisest king in Israel, writes of the importance of fellowship in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Solomon writes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. Then in verse 12, Solomon writes, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So, in conclusion, oh, thank God for the fellowship. As I go into this Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving season, I'm I'm excited and I'm thanking God for the fellowship here at the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. I thank God for the fellowship of the associate pastors. I thank God for the fellowship of the deacons. I thank God for the fellowship of of all of our our ushers and all of our church entities. I thank God for our fellowship. Jesus lives so that we can be together in fellowship. Jesus died so that the church could be together in fellowship. Jesus rose from the grave that so that we could be together in fellowship. Don't miss it. What a fellowship! What a joy divine, leading on the everlasting arms. Don't miss the fellowship. Don't take the fellowship for granted. Love God. Love Jesus. Love His church. Love the fellowship. Stay at it. Stay in it. Stay with it. God will. Take care of you